Welcome back to season seven of Flop Stars, the podcast where we chat about albums that are close to our hearts but may not have shot up the charts. This week, we have a returning Flop Star back with her second album on the podcast. It's all about Rina Sawayama's Hold the Girl this week. And to celebrate this album, I have I'm Going to Hold You, Nick Kelly. Well, thank this you. Episode. Hold me. <laughs> thank you for holding Hold me. Hold the Nick Kelly. <laughs> Hold the space for me, please. I'm very much looking forward to doing this. I'd actually forgotten that we even did the other Rina album. We did do the other Rena album quite a while ago, I think. Right, okay, that, that makes sense. Um, and this continues on a trend of doing albums that have not really had that much time to kind of, like, sit and fester and, like, gather some heritage. Yeah. And we're dissecting them apart within months of their release. When did this album actually come out? Uh, I think it dropped sometime in the latter part of last year, I right. believe. Yep. I want to say, like, October, but I really should check that because time just flies It these does. Days. It's all melting into one, you know. Post- it was September. September, okay. Yeah, so we're, yeah. we're reviewing this about six months on where it still feels fresh, and I think going back on it and having a good listen again, it still sounds so fresh as well. Like, such a combination of sounds, and it goes into sort of so many different worlds, but at the same time, it all feels very cohesive at the same time. Yeah, it feels like a big kind of step up from the first album in terms of the sound and what she's trying to do. And it's quite like an interesting amalgamation of inspiration. And I would say even unexpected to some point. It's the most maximalist, one of the most maximalist albums that was released last year. Like there's literally nothing held back. She throws everything at the wall, like literally everything. Yep, a hundred percent, and and it starts it starts all very sort of honest and emotional, but then it goes into these really fun spaces as well. You kind of have songs that feel like they're inspired by the cause. You have songs that feel like they're inspired by Shania. There's this sort of yeah. country motif going on in a few of the tracks, but then there's also these almost glam rock elements to it at points, and it all comes together and feels very cohesive at the end somehow. And I think the cohesion comes together with just the honesty in the lyrics yeah. at all times from her and, and, and bringing that honesty through and, and making it a very powerful honesty and the way that she expresses all of her feelings in this um and i think i think it's a really remarkable album in the amount of kind of trauma that it seems to process not just for herself Mm. but for other people and i really admire that she can go really really deep on herself and be able to sort of almost forgive parts of of her life and forgive people around her but then immediately embody someone else in a kind of different situation that she hasn't exactly experienced and be able to sort of forgive people on their behalf as well it's a very forgiving album at points and I really admire that about it It, I think that the whole idea of hold the girl and, and sort of holding space and becoming a better version of yourself is so eminent throughout um and I think it's a very it's a very comfortable album at points, despite the fact that it is so kind of abrasive at points in a really good way. And it, and it sort of does yeah. get to a really frenetic kind of level at points. I, I really felt the whole time, like you you feel very much like you're held in a safe space across the whole record. Yeah. And I think that's intentional. Like what you said with other people's stories, this album runs the risk of being very self-indulgent. Um, 
in terms of the fact that it's so centered around her own personal trauma and her own recovery. But the thing that she does to take it out of that zone is she uses perspective in a really beautiful way. Yeah. And I think like send your love to John, obviously not her story, but she tells it in um, such a vivid way. And I think doing things like that pulls everybody into it. Mm. And this becomes an album, not just about Rena's experience, but, and, uh, but about experience that a lot of people can relate to. Yeah. I mean, like, This Hell is kind of an anthem for the queer community. And then, obviously, you've got plenty of songs that touch on the experience of growing up as a minority or as a- an immigrant in a different country. Yep. Like, it, there's just so, so much to it. I think there's some really beautiful moments that, you know, they're very layered in their empathy. And I think there's... Catch Me in the Air is probably a perfect example of that, where she's kind of diving into the relationship with a a single mom who is Japanese growing up in this kind of Western environment. Um, While she's kind of growing up in London, um, it's quite incredible to hear the way that she forgives, but also apologises, moves forward, celebrates all kind of in the one song um, on that kind of cause-inspired track. And then you get something yeah. like Send My Love to John, which kind of does the same thing, but on the behalf of someone else. It, it celebrates yeah. like th- the way that people can move forward in their understanding and their acceptance of the queer community. Um, and it, it sort of it, it acknowledges the wrongs of the past, but it acknowledges how far that mum has come in her acceptance and it celebrates where she's at, but it also mourns the sad moments of that, that misunderstanding between the mum and the son. Um, and yeah. I, I think she, she layers that kind of empathy and she layers that forgiveness in so many, so many different ways across this album that you end up feeling very like... It almost makes you feel like anything can be forgiven at some point. I mean, there's literally also the track... Um, is it for- forgiveness? forgiveness? Is it the name of the track? Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's also yeah. that, which is sort of, you know, her you know, confronting shitty experiences in the past and just having the conversation with the person instead of just repressing it. And I think you come away from this album feeling like you can forgive or be forgiven for anything and you can move forward, you know, regardless of how sort of tied down by trauma you feel at points, you you feel like you can forgive and forget eventually and celebrate. Yeah, totally. And I, I, like, I really like that sentiment about taking all these things and and dealing with them throughout the like entirety of the album because I think it's something that she does spectacularly well on this and I think if we were to end on a song that was like fuck the world which she literally has a song called that yeah you'd be like oh this is kind of like a bummer like we've done we've this was an angry album and we haven't really arrived at, at an end point. And I do think, I don't think that albums always need to end at an end point, but I think the way that Rena presented this album, it was very clear that she wanted to arrive at some kind of resolution. And I think she says it kind of spectacularly on the first song where she says, um, all my life I've been saving face Well, all these minor feelings are majorly breaking me down. And I liked reading about it when she said that all these things, all these microaggressions that are targeted towards her because of the different communities that she's part of and the different communities that she represents, you start to receive so much of it that you take it on and it's like bit by bit by bit by bit. And she's like, all these minor things that I'm feeling 
ended up turning into one clusterfuck of me just feeling like absolutely breaking down during COVID, which is the starting point of writing this record. A hundred percent. And so much of this album, there are even songs that have kind of, she's walked out of therapy and written straight away. And and I think she was going yeah. through so much therapy and sort of seeking both like an element of acceptance of her younger self and like trying to do things better than her younger self did. And she's not a particular, it's not like she's an old woman. Um, but you know, she, when, when you get into the, the school, oh, in this industry, she is. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> this ageist industry. Um, when you get into the swing of sort of working on your shit from the past and working on your demons, it almost like comes all out like an exorcism at once and you start battling, slaying one dragon after the other. And it kind of feels a little bit like this album was the sonic representation of her doing that in her personal life across like 2019 to 2021. Um, And I think, you know, the struggles she went through during the lockdown, she confronted and she was really trying to like find the answer to these things. And we get to hear so much of that on this album as well. Um, and I think just the people that she surrounded herself with are quite fascinating as well. Like this whole idea of wanting to work with Paul Epworth, like her whole career and then getting to do that. Stuart Price brings such an incredible energy, but then working with people in her close circle, um, Vic Jamison, who plays, um, guitar for her. I came across Vic on TikTok during the pandemic. Um, and Vic was slowly working out her gender identity and sort of came out a couple of years ago, I think in the, in the kind of middle of this whole album cycle for Rena and Vic's on a few of the tracks on the record, including on this hell. Um, and I, I think for, for Rena to have Vic in that circle, I think it's a really beautiful thing as well, because Rena fans have watched Vic kind of grow into herself yeah. over the last few years. And, and she is such a massive part of this album as well. Um, and it really feels like she, Rena, this is allowed a really safe inner circle of people to help her translate these major feelings into, into beautiful songs. Yeah, and I think that's the sense that I got when I saw her at the end of last year from the feeling that she built with her show, which was that it was just a really comfortable space and throughout the whole thing she was she was encouraging everybody to like speak what's what's bothering you no matter how small it is and like seek therapy if you need to and blah blah blah, which is quite an it, you don't hear that often at a pop show for somebody to confront mental health. Um, like that and to hear it in a live space and hear the way that everybody resonated to it was something really special because I think so often for a lot of these communities and I don't mean to speak on behalf of them because I'm not part of a minority as a straight white male um, but I think pop music has so so often been used as an outlet in the clubs or in a bedroom or whatever to take pop music which can often be quite sort of sanded down and quite universal and really like drill to the matter of her audience like drill to the heart of what's getting to her audience is is something quite special and something that i don't think she gets her props for often enough there's often been a conversation i think you spoke that really beautifully by the way um one of the great allies thank you i i think there's always a feeling around queer I can only obviously speak from the queer experience. I can't speak from the Asian experience, but um, I think there's often 
a conversation around queer music and music that resonates with the queer community that it has to be escapist and that it almost yeah. has to be running away from our feelings. And there is, there is a place for that, really important place um, of, of building a safety where the traumas of the day-to-day can't get to you. Um, and I think yeah. that's what, you know, queer venues and queer clubs have done so well for so long. But it, to be honest, it was, um, it was probably Fred again that made me start thinking about the fact that sometimes I actually think it's important for people in the club experience and in those traditionally escapist experiences where you leave your baggage at the door, you walk in and you celebrate. I actually think yeah. it's important for us to sometimes, because it can't always be trauma dumping, but I think it's actually really important for us to sometimes have music and clubs and spaces where we talk about the other shit and we confront the yeah. other stuff in a safe way and in a way that feels like you're surrounded by community who understand the experience, but it doesn't always have to be running away from the feelings. And I actually think when we run away from the feelings constantly, we, we end up in a worse space when we're not in those places. Whereas if yeah. we start confronting in a safe way, like I think Rena provides space for, um, the way that we feel really, as you said, like actually getting to the matter of things, but still in this kind of context of music and, and celebration yeah. and partying and dancing. And I think it's the still way fun because she's still got songs like Comme de Garçon and like um, Lucid and This Hell, which closes out the show. Like yeah. there's still these moments of that silly kind of escapism. You can have both. The whole and it's not like this album is a heavy. sad record either. Like it's no. actually a very fun record and it's actually quite you know, enjoyable. Um, it's just that some of the subject matter is actually just talking about the genuinely human experience of it all. We'll just think about Hold the Girl, for example. Like, mm. that is such a euphoric-sounding song. And that opening, like, a cappella sort of bit yeah. is is such a weight lift, but the song itself is actually quite heavy, the subject matter of it yep. is. But I think there's this kind of thing bumbling under the whole way through the record which is that things are gonna get better mm. and that's where the euphoria comes in songs like that yeah. but obviously then there's songs where there's no euphoria at all like a song like frankenstein um holy till you let me go yeah. your age is just pure rage yeah and i actually find that to be thrilling on the album and live i felt like i was watching like evanescence or something like that like wow. it's there's quite a power to what she gives and these are styles that i don't think uh quote i think you could have put rena with her debut album into the like cool alt pop basket with like your carlies and your charlies of the world the quirky girls but with this one she was doing genres that aren't typically considered to be cool you know, yeah. like when you think of her influences running through everyone from the cause to Paramore and then you pick up on the Evanescence and I'm even picking up on Hilary Duff in some of the songs, like they're not quote unquote cool. And I love that she's she's ballsy enough to go there, you know? Yeah. Oh, 100%. And I really think it is what makes this album so special and it makes it such a, a another worldly experience while still feeling quite human. Um, the whole time. I'm going to go out on a whim, Sam. I'm going to say, like, we'll get to we'll get to mm. further bits about this and the charts and the critics and stuff, but I'm going to say this is probably the album we've done on Flop Stars in seven seasons that I think deserves the most that it didn't get. Because I think there is just so wow. much special about this. There is so much to be celebrated about the way that she put it all out there, the, the quality of the sound, 
the way she turned these lyrics into metaphors, the way that she yeah. kind of built this other world around it. Looking at the chart position, I mean, let's just move to that for a sec. 166 peak in the US, 12 in Australia, <laughs> and even in the UK, only number three. It's ridiculous yeah. to me. It's even more ridiculous to me because I think that we've done albums in the past. I'm thinking like the first one that pops into my head is is Lana, mm. Norman Effing Rockwell, where you like, it makes sense that there was no hit singles on this. Yep. You know, like there's not one here. I can't find it. A cult classic. Whereas this, I'm looking at it and I'm like, this hell to me is just such an obvious smash. Yeah. And Hold the Girl, I think too, could have been a smash. Yeah. You just, and I think everything was positioned like that as well. But honestly, I think like reading the interviews today and seeing the subject matters that she was talking about, the mainstream pretends that they're ready to have those conversations, but they're not in that level of, in that explicit nature, you know? When you think about Kim Petras and Sam Smith and not to shit on Unholy at all, but it's a fun song that comes with the caveat that it's by a non-binary person and a trans person, which is great to see that success. Yep. But nobody's ready to have those conversations in the mainstream with Kim Petras about what it's like to be a trans pop star. Yeah. In the in the in the mainstream, you know. But Rena was very loud. I'm not saying Kim's not loud. I just don't think she's given that platform too often on a on a mainstream scale. No. But Rena was extremely loud about that. And I think when you do that, people are like, oh, this this is a bit much for me. You well, know? It, it all goes back to that whole thing of like not wanting to confront trauma because I think if you confront, if you allow someone else space to confront their trauma, your mind immediately goes to your own and you start yeah. feeling like you've got to be processing yours instead of just celebrating somebody else processing theirs and, and sort of being able to connect to it and empathize with it. Um, and I think for a lot of people who haven't started that journey yet that I personally think everyone needs to eventually arrive at. Um, it's a very confronting proposition, isn't it? It's a very confronting situation to be like, I'm going to have to have a thought, a think about my relationship with my mother, my relationship with the people around me, queer people, um, you know, shit that happened in childhood, religion. Like there's all these like tick boxes in this album that it makes people think about in their own way because we're selfish yeah. as, a, as a society and a human race. And so we immediately start connecting other people's stories to our own experiences subconsciously. That's what this album yeah. invites you to do. And if you're not ready for that 100%. conversation, then you're not ready for that conversation. And it's probably a big part of why people shy away from this. Yeah. And when you think about a song like this, how which I think you can tie back to Shania Twain pretty easily. Yeah. It's like Shania's songs were quite universal, whereas this hell, she was pretty upfront with the fact that this was a song for the queer community. And then you immediately close doors, which is unfair because you shouldn't, but yeah. people just aren't ready to like have that kind of explicit queerness thrown yeah. in their face, which I think is is shitty. But people see whatever. queerness. You, know, you can't change the world with one album. No, and she will eventually change the world. I think. Um, I, I see people's response to queerness. I think Sydney World Pride happened not long before we recorded this, and just seeing the the vitriol in the comment sections of people like like they'll literally post. There was a march along the Sydney Harbour Bridge in the morning on a Sunday. Yeah. Just people walking on a bridge, 
with some rainbow flags around them and stuff to celebrate Pride, 50,000 people. Where's the straight... And, you know, it's every time with queer stuff. Where's the straight person's day? Where's the straight <laughs> march? Blah, blah, blah. Literally every day they open the Harbour Bridge for cars to drive over. Literally. That's your straight march. straight activity. <laughs> Driving a car <laughs> in a city. Everybody knows the gays can't drive. Gays have not, especially not on a bridge. <laughs> that's got seven fucking lanes on it and it's impossible to get between one and the other. And if you're in lane one and you need to be over at lane seven to go to the city north, you're fucked. <laughs> Forget about it. Forget about but it. But I think what I was really fascinated by was people's immediate response when they see queerness I'm not saying everyone's response but people who haven't like don't have queer people in their lives or it's a new concept to them still and I, I completely understand that and I respect particularly mm. people who've come from um, traditionally religious backgrounds and, and people who just don't have that kind of outward queerness in their life which a lot of people don't and people outside of the, the big cities often don't but where I draw the line is that they don't have the empathy to go hey these people aren't trying to like infringe on my rights and infringe on my existence all they're doing yeah. is celebrating their existence and inviting us to come along for the ride as well. Like that yeah. Pride March would have been, it was amazing, but it would have been infinitely better if it was a shit ton of allies as well. And there was a bunch of allies on there, but it's like, yeah. this should have been a thing that like every person in Sydney was at or felt welcome to come to. And I think people don't understand that we actually want to hold space for every walk of life to come and walk with us. And I think regardless of the minority situation you're in, that is all any minority is seeking is a little bit of empathy and a little bit of conversation around being together and moving forward together on this and celebrating each other's differences and the things that make each other unique. And, and instead people just get fearful and scared and run away from that idea. Yeah. Yeah. Which is crazy. I'd and I think right now. like, <laughs> We're going quite deep on this. I think, like, my experience, obviously, like, I, my three best friends at school all ended up coming out gay. And so my experience growing up throughout my 20s has all been just being invited into the queer community yeah. and, like, not wanting to have it any other way because I think it's the funnest and, like, most beautiful community. And I think tying it back to this album... I think Rena's sense of trying to share her story and, and gain understanding is like she's inviting people into it as well to understand. And it's all she's ever done with her career. Like particularly if you cast your mind back to the Brit Awards and the Mercury Awards where she wasn't allowed to be invited. Um, she wasn't allowed to be nominated because she... I can't remember exactly why. I think it's because she wasn't born there or something like yeah. that. But... Um, it was some ridiculous rule that stopped somebody who's grown up in London their whole life and has contributed so much to the British music scene mm -hmm. that they've been barred from it. And it's little things like that that you don't realise if you're not within those minorities that that's happening, you know? And I think by Rena doing this and then by sharing these stories in the album, it just makes it so much more accessible to a much broader range of people and I think that's kind of the bravery that she's so shown since the beginning of her career and the heavy part of the podcast <laughs> <laughs> it was really I'm really glad that we went there though because like this kind of goes back to what we've been talking about this album invites these conversations and this album yeah. invites you to kind of 
dive deeper on how you feel around these kinds of issues. And I think that's yeah. exactly the power of music sometimes. Fuck yeah, I got the power of music chat in there. That's good. <laughs> Woo! Is there a song that you think particularly resonates or pulls off what she's trying to do? Hmm. Well, it's hard to say one. I think Catch Me in the Air is a very critical part of that. And I think when you start talking about kind of parent stuff, that is a real sort of dive into the whole of it. Like your life is so, I I think for anyone, your relationship with your parents is so formative to the way that you view the world. And I think being able to explore, um, mourn, celebrate, move on within the one kind of song and wrap it all up in that brilliant sound, um, I think it's a very special way to do that. And I think probably is an example of everything that this album's trying to do in one song. Um, so that one probably stands out to me. Um, and Hold the Girl, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? I think for me, I think for me, it's like, I really like Minor Feelings. Yep. I think Hold the Girl does an excellent job. I really like the songs that balance that juxtaposition between like the anger and the angst and the confusion and then the euphoria as well. And I think Hold the Girl does a brilliant job at that. I also think Hurricanes does a really good job at that. And there's a line in it where she says, always wanted to be best at everything, even when it brings out the worst in myself. Um, (laughs) So I create a storm and bury it deep, hiding the key, which I think is the very, the very emphasis of the record. Yeah. Um, and I think that Rena is a classic overachiever and I think that it's all over this album from how maximalist it is to yeah. how big sounding it is. Um, and I think the album that it ties back to in my head is Gaga's Born This Way. And I remember thinking at that time when that album came out, like, this is just too much. Mm. It's too much. And years later, I've come to really respect that album. It's one of my favourite albums of all time. Yeah, it's brilliant. But I'm glad that listening to this album, I didn't have that same response, that it's too much. Even though it's absolutely too much, but in the best way. It's like almost an hour of just a pure onslaught of like in-your-face kind of stuff. (laughs) But if you're down for it, you're down for it. And and we'll talk about what the critics said later because I think that was a massive part of it. But maybe halfway into the podcast, we should move into a song game. I've only just looked at how long we've been doing it for. I'm astonished. We've gone for ages. (laughs) Yeah, let's do a song game. Flop stars. Let's do it. All right. So this one I have done. I've put her songs from this album up against songs by artists that she said inspired the album. So right. she quoted Kelly Clarkson, Sugar Babes, Paramore, and The Cause as big inspirations for this. So you'll see them pop up throughout this song game. I love this. The first one is This Hell. Mm-hmm. Versus Round Round by the Sugar Babes. Nah, I'm already like, I'm already gonna find this one of the hardest song games ever. Gonna already tell this from this. Um, <laughs> round, round, baby, round, 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 round me. <laughs> God, they had some stupid songs, didn't they? Um, <laughs> like, this is just one of those strokes of like 
UK early 2000s pop genius. And there was just so many examples of it in this those early days of those girl groups just slaying it with these songs. Excuse me. Um, Excuse you. And I want to go this hell because I I feel it more and I find Round Round, you know, it, Round Round is, this is going to be controversial, a bit mid. It's, it's, it's not doing like... No. No, but it, listen to me. I'm not saying it's a mid song. I'm just saying like... The energy of it isn't as as enormous as I'm expecting from. Okay, you know yeah. what I mean. It's not as dynamic. As Th- this that's helped. it. Yeah, it's very sort yeah. of and and it's great and it's it's a perfectly done pop song. Um, but yeah. to me, I think this hell is willing to go where most pop songs don't, and I'm going to reward the um, veracity of of doing that. So I'm going to go with this hell. If it was another Sugar Babe song, it potentially would have been a loss, but okay. I think this hell. I think that um, what Rena does really well and what the Sugar Babes do really well is mixing rock elements into their songs without flooding them out. Because yep. I think that pop and rock is a very difficult combination to get right. Mm. And like when you think about the pink Kelly Clarkson... Um, Katy Perry era of pop rock, it kind of dated those songs because it sounds so like that period. Yeah. But these ones feel kind of timeless because they do it so delicately. And I just think like Sugar Babes are so freaking good at doing it and did it from the beginning. Um, and often don't get their flowers for how like wild their production was. Yeah. And Round Round is such a gritty, grimy song without being overwhelmingly rock and roll, you know? And I think this hell does the same kind of thing more in a Shania Twain kind of way. And God, I didn't even think about what way I'm going to go. I know. Can I just say Mm. about Round Round as well? I think it also ties in, and the Sugar Babes did this quite well a lot, it ties in hip-hop as well because it's got those sort of tape stop effects in there and the sort of the looping, and which obviously ties into the song title and the the whole idea of it all. But I think they do that sort of garagey hip-hop thing, just a slight element of that into their pop music so beautifully too. And Yeah, that that kind of meshing of genres. And Rena does that as well on this album, like on songs like Imagine. Imagining, um, yeah, that yes, garagey thing imagining. is that garagey <laughs> thing's all like all over this record, um, yeah. and I, I love it, and I think it sounds so authentic with Rena. Um, but I am going to go care. with this hell, Rena. Yes, it's just got a little bit more Oomph. elevation to it. Yeah. Okay, it the next one is "Hold the Girl." Versus Still Into You by Paramount. Oh, a really difficult one. I mean, there's just. This one's really hard. Yeah. I mean, I just think Hold the Girl is so brilliantly constructed, and I love what happens in the chorus where it's like super glitching, and there's just these kind of occasional like moments where it switches out of glitch into strings, and then the key change at the end. Um, you know, it's just a fucking great pop song. With like that sort of garage element through it as well, yeah. Um, that still into you for Paramore, like, is probably their one of their best pop songs, if that makes sense. Like yeah. one of their best sort of more pure pop moments. Um, you know, it sounds so poppy and up tempo and light and 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 fun, 
while still having that live instrumentation and the chorus still is technically quite heavy. Um, and I think the melody is one of their best, which is making me think I need to give it to Paramore, but this is a very, very difficult one. Um, so hard. Because I don't think it's the best. I think Paramore have like at least five better songs, um, but I still think it's Paramore at their poppy best. So I don't know. I really don't know. Because I can't do this, Helen, not hold the girl. <laughs> I think I'm gonna go. I think I'm gonna go with Rena though. I think I'm gonna stick with Rena, but it's only just by a sliver, and it's hold the girl. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. This is really bloody hard. I wish I'd thought about this more yeah. before I put them together. Um, very different songs in tone. Yeah. But give a similar kind of weightlessness in their vibe. I mean, I'm just trying to like. The end of Hold the Girl is so brilliant and so ridiculously over the top that I love. But I also think Still Into You is over the top yeah. in terms of it's just like outpouring of love and making like a, a cheery love song within an emo setting yeah. is, is was kind of jarring for the time. Um, oh, I'm just going to go still into you. I have to do it. Wow. I love that song. I know. And like, have you ever seen Paramore live? Yeah, I've seen them with you. I was standing next to you. Were you? Where? Yeah. At the bloody uh, arena in Sydney. Oh my God. Yes. I remember now. <laughs> I remember. I had forgotten that. That obviously meant nothing to you. No, it did. <laughs> I remember it really well now. We're in that, in the stands. <laughs> And we loved it because I've been twice. I recorded the whole of Ain't It Fun for <laughs> avid listener of the podcast, Jono. I knew it was going to be Jono. Um, and sent it to him and was like, remember when we loved this song? And apparently that was not. <laughs> he, he has no recollection. So was that the one or was it the other? I'm pretty sure it was the first time I went to see Paramore live. Um, they had a 25 piece choir come out and do Ain't It Fun with them. Do the bridge. I don't think that was for yeah, my one. Yeah, I thought it was I the first time. I would have remembered that for the rest of my life. It was, and, and I do remember it. Every time I think about Paramore, I remember that choir. It was like the Sydney Children's Choir or something. And they got oh them out God, for the Don't Cook Cry. Yeah. And they turned that into like a Food three minute mother. thing. Genius shit. They're the best band. One of the best bands in the world. And we'll, we'll talk about that new album at some point in in full. I know we did it a little bit in the pop in once, but yeah. Paramore are going to go down as we one should... of the best bands in the world ever. We should absolutely do Paramore. Fuck yeah. Like, quite soon. Um, the list. We should organise a Flop Stars choir of hmm. people to meet up in a flash mob and yep. just sing that. And mm. So if anyone would like to join that. Yeah. Um, I've always thought flash mobs um, are the right method of promotion for this show. It's always absolutely. Felt like the right, the, the You know one. the, like, the James Corden, like, Cinderella one? Yep. When they stopped traffic in LA, That's and the vibe. like he just yelled into the car windows, yep. like genius. That's the absolute you know, vibe of it. Yep. Put people out, stop their day, yep. make them hate you, yep. and they'll never forget you. Absolutely, make them dislike you every time. Yeah, every time. Which is what the the ethos I go into every episode of this podcast <laughs> with. <laughs> As the resident shock jock. You've all, I've always called you a shock jock. I've always said I that. I am a shock jock. <laughs> um, all right, next one. Catch me in the air. Oh, 
versus Breathless by the Cause. Mm. Yeah, Breathless by the Cause. Um, all right. Well, this is a hard one because I think Catch Me in the Air, as I said, like I think it probably is the center point of the album for me. I think it, and I think anything. I probably have a slight natural lean towards parenty shit because I find all that very emotional for me for some reason. Um, yeah. Excuse me. Um, but, like, Breathless is one of the most perfect songs ever made. And it's it's almost unbeatable and ununpackable. Um, yeah. Do you think there's much of a relationship between those two songs? Because I feel like obviously, obviously sonically there is, and then I feel Catch Me in the Air like that bridge is giving like Taylor Swift lover kind of, and it, like it's a Taylor Swift level bridge. I think it's so yeah melodic and interesting. I just think they propel in the same kind of way. Yeah, they have the same kind of pace. Hell, great word from you. It's um, a good word, isn't it? Proud of you. I just think Breathless is too perfect to to beat. And as much as this is, yeah. for me, like a centre point, I th- still think we're, we're talking about the cause breathless here. So I'm going to go with the cause on this one. Yeah, I have a confession. Mm. I don't Catch say don't Me like In The song. Air is my least favourite song on the album. Really? Yeah. Wow. It's not mine. It's not that to much. me, it just goes into that like Hilary Duff-esque pop rock too much. And I think it just oversteps the line just a a little bit for me. So I'm definitely going breathless on this one. Okay, that's fair. I I think that what it may lack in sonic excellence and in sonic um, uniqueness, I think it makes up for in melody and lyrics. Is would be my okay. That's fair. But I've got to admit, I haven't really dug into the lyrics very much for that song. No, don't worry about it. Don't stress. Next one is Frankenstein. Versus Behind These Hazel Eyes by Kelly Clarkson. Oh! Difficult. This is hard. Why didn't I think of this before I did it? I, that's what I'm wondering. You prepare the song game, as famously noted. Um, look, I think I like Frankenstein because it, it speaks, I think, very, very well to, like, the feeling of weirdness when you are sort of going through it and going through your thoughts and having all these swirling anxieties happen at once that sort of like yeah. acknowledgement that you really need to go and start sorting this out and go and see someone. Um, you know, she refers to herself as a monster at points. Um, it's got such a great kind of frenetic feeling to it that sort of matches the the theme of it. Um, but then just like Breathless by the Cause, we're talking about Behind These Hazel Eyes by Kelly Clarkson, which is just like pop rock personified like it's it's the quintessential pop rock moment um i wouldn't say frankenstein's one of my favorite tracks on the album so i'm gonna go with what tell me you don't tell me you don't agree with you do agree with me on that no frankenstein's one of the best oh my god we've been by far almost 40 minutes of like perfect agreeance on this record and its strengths and then when we get to the well, actual now song, i feel cheated like, because it. we had this deep conversation based on this mutual understanding of the album <laughs> that was never there to begin with <laughs> isn't that the whole premise of this podcast sometimes 
<laughs> yes. Um, I'm going to go with Kelly Clarkson, though. Again, it's just based on the soul quality of the Kelly song. Like, I don't... In a sense, one of my least favourite songs on the album. It's not a bad song. Um, I just think, you know, Behind These Hazel Eyes is the blueprint of some of that 2000s pop rock stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this... And if you want to I talk mean, behind about... These... Sorry. If you want to talk about... You know how you, you made that Evanescence reference a bit ago? Yeah, I think that's be- where it is. Behind these hazel eyes is like as evanescent as like yeah, that that's pop true. rock gets, that's right? True. It's really yeah. got that sort of emo undertone to it all. Um, but yeah, so that's Kelly for me. Sorry, you go ahead. Oh, this is hard because I really don't... I feel like I've given so many wins to the other person, but... Yeah. Uh, it's Yeah, it is really hard to beat. Kelly for me, yeah. as you know. So <laughs> I'm very aware. I've got to go behind these hazel eyes, even though I think that that Frankenstein is such a pivotal point of the album, and Live was like absolutely incredible. So, yeah. oh god, yeah, yeah, I got to go, Kelly. Bang. I've just finished today listening to an hour and ten minute podcast <laughs> of Kelly Clarkson. What was it all about? New album's going to be great. Well, it was about her, like. Um, divorce and like her healing process, you know. Wow. Sometimes I think it's just comforting to listen to Kelly Clarkson speak. Like I'll just put the Kelly Clarkson show on the background and I'll just work and I usually won't tune in, but she just kind of serenades me. That's the cutest and saddest thing you've ever said. She's written 60 songs for this new album. It's too many. She's got to cut that down. Well, she's going to whittle them down. She's not going to put 60 songs on her. <laughs> they won't fit. And it's going to be... Pro- she said it's, like, angry, but it's also, like, a bit, like, euphoric when she gets over the divorces. Oh, God, it's going to be good. I'm, it's pr- gonna I'm be excited so about that. Her best yet. If anyone's got it, send it to me. When's it out? I don't know. There's no release date yet. There's not even a single. Why would someone have it? Well, like, if someone from her label is listening. Oh, yeah. They could send me the... Why are you not believing that this could happen? (laughs) Because you're noted as a leaker. They've got you on a blacklist. No, I'm not. you on a blacklist That is not true. Do not not put that on my name on this podcast. I've never leaked anything. Are you on a a list? Apart from 2002 by Anne Marina Hotel. (laughs) But that's... (laughs) That was confined within four walls. <laughs> and it was coming out like two days later anyway. It's okay. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Moving on. Sorry. just, um, sorry, just the We need to give context on that. Just before 2002 by Anne-Marie came out, we had a night in a hotel room where Sam played that song for probably eight hours on repeat. And yeah, hence leaking the record. Remember when I was accused of leaking a Troy Sivan song to the point where he got custom um, jumpers made for like everyone who had something to do with the album and I did the bio for that album so he got one for me and it had Nick Leakey on the back as my name. (laughs) That was fun. (laughs) So you're the leaker, not me. Yeah, I was accused of leaking Paper Cut by Zed and Troy Sivan when all I had done was we did a blog post saying it had leaked and we didn't link to it, we just said it had leaked. What? Paper Cut by... Do you remember what? that song? Remember Zed and Troy Sivan did a song called Paper Cut? Went for like five oh. minutes. Very long. Um, oh. This is like 2015, I reckon. This is like in the wild era. Anyway, we've somehow gotten onto Troy Sivan and leaking songs. 
let's get back All to right. yeah, let's get Rina Sawayama's album. Stars. <laughs> let's talk about the critics because it was kind of all over the place, even though it does have a good score on Metacritic mm-hmm. as an 84 out of 100, which is great. Um, but Pitchfork, after she did a full-ass feature with them, said, nah, they gave it a 6.5. They said, like a classic overachiever, Sawayama wants to do so much in her music. The Cambridge graduate wants to speak to the political climate and flaunt her keen study of pop history. In the end, the little girl at the centre of the album gets swallowed by her own vision. Wow. I, I, I can see the basis of that comment. I don't, so can I. I don't necessarily agree with it because I have a bigger mind and am able to take in all of these <laughs> concepts um, and not find them overwhelming. <laughs> and you don't. You don't squash little girls. No, I don't. Meanwhile, the reviewer has a tiny brain and is unable to um, <laughs> understand. No, I can see what I can see the base. No, of I think the point is valid, and yeah. I can actually see how people can feel this way because yep. it is quite a, a full-on listen from start to finish, and I think sometimes it's best taken in parts. Yep. If you're not in the mood for the entire thing. And I think if she gave this kind of intensity for another album, it might be a bit too much. I think the brilliant thing about her debut was that it spliced up that kind of stuff very well. Like the heavy rock moments were counteracted by a song like Bad Friend. Mm. And then Bad Friend, which is a more emotional, vulnerable moment, was counteracted by a song like Comme de Garçons. Yeah. Whereas this album doesn't have that kind of... There's there's nothing watered down in this album. No. Which is great, but you've just got to take it. In your own speed. You yeah. Know? Some people just aren't ready for it. And I actually get that. And I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Like, if these are not concepts that you are, um, you know, you've begun to grapple with, this can actually be quite a confronting album at, at points. And I completely understand that. And that probably yeah. feeds into its... It, it, it potentially has an element of inaccessibility to it at points. But I think that more comes Don't lyrically than... that the Pitchfork writer has... Un- I want to find trauma. Be, and then I bet like they're, they're like famously a trauma like advocate and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> be just Donated thousands to youth mental health organizations. It's like those songs we've done occasionally on albums where I'm like, fuck this, hate it, fuck it. And then you're like, it's about her dead mum. Or like Yeah, that's most of the time <laughs> when you hate a song. <laughs> anyway, moving on. <laughs> Uh, the Guardian liked it. They gave it a four out of five. They said this is a record about coming home to yourself, about feeling truly alive, one with the added benefit of being stuffed with bangers and not overburdened by corny shredding. Yeah. yeah. I do like how she really balances the corny with the not corny. Like some moments on this album are so corny. The closer yeah. to be alive is so yeah. corny, <laughs> but it needed to be, you know, like yeah. you needed that reprieve at the end of the album. And I kind of love how it sounds like, what's the Celine Dion song that's really corny that I love? What My Heart Will Go when On. You call my name. <gasps> oh. <laughs> I get wings to fly. <laughs> I feel like I'm alive. <laughs> it does feel like a phoenix rising from the ashes, doesn't it? It does, it's, absolutely. And I love that. It's like, fuck this, I've put all my trauma out there now. I'm just joyous now. Everything's fine. Every all this shit I've been complaining about for twelve songs, all good now. <laughs> we fly on, we move on. Bye bye. Bye. Over some You like- know what I was thinking the other day? There's nobody 
who fills Celine's shoes in this generation. No. Like, she was so over the top. Yeah. So corny. A little daggy. I mean, your immediate response would be Adele. No, But I think different. Adele's too cool to fill that spot. Yeah, you know? I think too She's cool. too self-aware. But, and then when she goes into earnest mode, it's convincing and, and believable and real. And Well, that's same as Celine. Well, yeah, but then there are moments that are, you know, that wonderful kind of daggy, corny feeling. I agree with you. There's none of that silliness. There's no one doing silly. That's the problem with yeah, society. that's true. Large. That's true. They need to bring it back. Um, Rolling Stone, the most exciting thing about Hold the Girl is that you can't even guess where Sawayama might go next. That's true. It's a bit of a lame ending to a review, but it's yeah, true. Yeah, I'd probably do a bit better there. I'd probably sort of put, put the pen down for a minute and then revisit it. <laughs> no. They barely held... They did not hold the girl at all. They did not. They had the girl dangling from her two feet. They were holding the girl over the balcony like Michael Jackson did with um, his kid. Also, I, I looked at the Hitchfork <laughs> review and um, they actually seem quite cool. Uh, Kat Zhang. Hello, Kat Zhang. Oh, she is cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Shout out Kat Zang. And, and yeah, I want to make very clear that I actually think those comments are very extremely valid and <laughs> are very... Very well written. Yeah, that's actually a very a, a excellent summary of how it can be felt. Um, yeah. No shade to Kat Zang. Legend. I just want to talk quick... We are running out of time, but I just want to talk quickly about how <laughs> unique what Rena brings to the table on this is. Because... She grew up in London. I believe that she basically learnt to speak English from the people around her. Mm. So, grew up um, with Japanese parents and then kind of had to make her way in London. Then is introduced into the queer community and then introduced into the pop community and has this wealth of growing up with music that she's essentially sourcing herself or getting from people at school or from friends, whatever. But the combination of all that, of her upbringing, brings together such a whirlpool of influence that I think the comments about her being like, choose your direction, stay in your lane, blah, blah, blah. She doesn't have a lane to stay in, you know? She's dabbled in so many different lanes. And I think it's so cool when she talks about her inspirations that they're so far-reaching and also she's found such a home in Japan with her music they really love her music there and she's had some of her highest charting moments in Japan yeah I just think it's cool to like have all these moments and all these communities that you obviously once felt quite like I don't know like quite an outcast within because you didn't have your full foot in or weren't preserved perceived to have your whole foot in and now have this full circle moment when you're where you're being embraced by Japan and the queer community and by Britain as as like their next big pop hope I just think it's cool that she had she ticks so many boxes and I think it's where we're at and it's where we should be at where you can be kind of an intersection of all of these different identities and that some of them inform others and I think coming from kind of a racial minority probably informs your kind of um, acceptance and understanding of the things that people in the queer community go through. And I think vice versa, I like to think vice versa. Um, And I'm not saying that they are the same experience or that they can be co-opted. They are two unique experiences, but there are elements, I think, that allow you to be more empathetic to people 
in other minority groups. Um, and I, I think that she encompasses so many, so many different ones and is able to take that empathy then back to herself and give herself yeah. some space and realize that she has lived a unique experience and that and a, and a very valid experience that deserves to be cherished and worked through and forgiven of anything that might've happened in the past and, mm. you know, take everything she's learned from that into molding herself into a better person, I think. And I really respect that about her. Um, and I think just like Rolling Stone said, literally, this could go anywhere now, and I'm so excited to see what happens next for her. Good. She said something to Pitchfork, which I love. She said, you just can't live too seriously. When you find that community that you can be safe around and joke with, you reclaim certain things. Yeah. And I think that's the crux of the album. Like, it's even tongue-in-cheek, the fact that she goes so big in so many moments yeah. and goes so corny, you know? There's a, there's a humour to doing that, I think. Yeah. Um, Let's play a game because we've got we've got to go right. very shortly and let you all get back to your day driving over bridges or whatever <laughs> you do for fun. <laughs> Poor old bridge driver. Stars. The game I've called the inspiration game. Yep. Basically, I'm going to name an artist mm-hmm. and I want you to tell me which song somebody has said that they can hear their inspiration on. on okay. This album. Yep, got you. We'll start easy. Okay. Shania Twain. Would be... This Hell, right? Correct. Yeah, good. Nailed it. Yes. The next one is like- Madonna's Like a Prayer. Oh! Um... Maybe, oh, Holly's not really, like, as, like, jaunty as, like, a prayer. It's much more of a, like, ethereal kind of ravey moment. Um, I don't know. Give me looking through my notes that I've made on each of these songs. Um, <laughs> You'll kick yourself when I tell you what it is. Is it Hold the Girl? It is Hold the yeah, Girl. Yes, that makes because sense. Because of that, like, the start of Like a Prayer, they say, is quite similar. Of course, To the yes. start and end of Hold the Girl. Yeah. Yes. Okay. The next one is ABBA. Ooh. Um, I mean, all incredible. Um, oh, I don't know. Is it, is it your age? No, it's this hell again. Oh, you the can't know. I thought this hell, hell was cancelled out now because it already had its reference. No, I it's not. We can go back to it. Okay, yeah, yeah I can. The riff hear of that. it is Man so similar midnight. to "Gimme, Gimme." Yeah, yeah, "Gimme, Gimme, Gimme." That Elton John got in touch with ABBA for Rena and got them to clear the. Fuck, riff. that is a great yeah. story, isn't it? It's another it's of those excellent having out. El- Elton. Elton. <laughs> Can you get on the phone? El- to Abba? Elton's been so a phenomenal. No, doing Elton. <laughs> yeah, why is he calling Elton? Elton sounds dead. <laughs> In your impression. I know it's Elton John here. I know Elton John here. Uh, um, what song was called a cause song pitched to Gwen Stefani? Oh, that's fun. Oh. 
pitch to Gwen Stefani. Um, maybe, like, is it Catch Me in the Air or is that too obvious? It is Catch Me in yes, the Air. I'm great at this game. You got it. I'm good. You're doing well. I'm doing well. Um, halfway between ACDC and Village People. This hell. No, that one's Frankenstein. <laughs> oh, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. You could kind of say and this fine. tells that as well, though, couldn't you? Like, Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think a lot of the album you could say that yeah. for. Um, Final one, Taylor Swift. Oh. Well, I I thought forgiveness, the first thing that came into my mind was, lo- was Lover. It kind of has that same... Plotting that same beat yeah, as Lover. I can hear that. That time signature that I just don't understand because I don't understand time signatures um, and how they can be different. <laughs> but I reckon I it's... I don't understand time either, by the way. You've muffled <laughs> on today. Shut up, mate. Is it forgiveness? <laughs> it's not. It's send my love to, to John. Oh, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, because she was inspired by the, the, the perspective writing of Taylor Swift's folklore. Yep. I can see that. And that's it. Wow. All right, give me your best, your worst, and your score out of 10. This is so difficult. I think best is still going to have to go to Hold the Girl for me. Either Hold the Girl or Catch Me in the Air. But I think as I'm very strong on choosing one, it's going to be Hold the Girl. Um, My least favourite is Your Age. And I think the reason for that mm. is I just think it is a little bit, um, I think if, cor- you know how we talked about the balance of corny and, you know, authentic, I think that one feels yeah. like a story that maybe doesn't necessarily need to be on the record. And I think is told better on other ones. It's kind of that whole idea of, you know, older people trying to box her into being a certain way, but I just, I don't like the, re- yeah. I don't like the references to social suicide and stuff. I've never liked that term. And I just think that otherness is explored much more broadly and much more, um, both, both broadly and more sort of nuancedly, um, in other parts yeah. of the album. So I'd probably get rid of that if I needed to, but it's a very hard, yeah, it's hard to decide which one to get rid of, but it's probably that one for me. And a rating. Okay. I'm going to... Hey. <gasps> nine, and a, nine and a half. Nine and a half. Yep. Holy dooly. This album's going to go down. Wow. That's one of my favourites. Like, it's so brilliant and so diverse. And I think you really kind of brought it home for me when you referenced Born This Way. Because that, to, like, that is yeah. the most pivotal album of my life. And I hadn't drawn the bow there. But now I really do. And I think that's why I like this so much because it's the same maximalist thing. It explores so many different stories. Yeah. It has other people's perspectives, but also really sort of, you know, inward facing moments and brings it all together in, in a glitter and dirt covered bow. And I like that so much. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. All right. My best song is, I think I've got to go this hell. Yeah, cool. And my second best would be Frankenstein. Okay. Um, and I like Hurricanes. Yep. Yeah, and Forgiveness. And Hold the Girl. <laughs> Minor feelings, too. Um, <laughs> uh, and my least favourite song is Catch Me in the Air, By a Mile. Really? Um, yeah, I really can't stand it. By a it. mile? Yeah. 
Sorry. Convulsing. Um, and I'm giving it an 8 out of 10. Okay. I think it's very solid. I love it. Yeah. Hey, that was one of my favorite episodes we've ever done. I really enjoyed that. Me too. Yeah. Me too. I loved a little exploration. We barely fought. <laughs> we, sp- we gave each other space to speak. <laughs> some learnings. We were very respectful. <laughs> so there's some learnings that we need to bring into my into most episodes that get thrown out the door when we get passionate about something. <laughs> no, we're going to do something raucous next week. Yes. I want to yell. <laughs> um, thanks for joining us on Flop Stars as always. We are so appreciative of the little community that we're building. We'd love you to share this with a friend if you think they love this, they'd love this album or love this take on it. Um, and you can jump on and, and have your say on everything that we've talked about at Flop Stars Podcast. Um, we're on Instagram and TikTok. We've also got personal Twitter accounts that you can find and yell at us individually on as well. Um, if you can pop a rating on the show, that'd be great. I think that's all the housekeeping that helps us get chart numbers that have been, uh, we have had our best, uh, I don't like to talk about the charts too much, but we had our best week in Australia ever last week, um, in seven seasons. Yeah. We are not flops. Let me tell (laughs) you that. Let me tell you that. Not like, not like these pathetic people we talk about on the podcast. Absolutely. We are. We are are not with them. (laughs) We we are (laughs) not in the top 200 podcasts in the country yet, but we are in the top nine music commentary podcasts in Australia at the moment. There you go. Which is wonderful. Marina could never. She could never because she doesn't have a podcast about music commentary. Also, we've dropped down since I made that reference. We've dropped out of the top ten. So that's good. So get us back in there. Let's do it. (laughs) Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 